Welcome back to the Think Business Podcast. In this episode, I talk with John Collins, one of the key investors in Ireland's indigenous tech scene, who in May experienced two exits of two companies he backed in two weeks, SinglePoint and Opening.io. He talks about his entrepreneurial career and his own successful exit and why he believes in backing Irish startups. Entrepreneur was probably the only other French term in Dublin at the time was probably cockardie and that had its own connotations. But um, I suppose my first entrepreneurial decision was I left the civil service, which is an unbelievably apprehensive step to take for any normal male in the what was it, early 80s? My God. Um, so uh, I had forged my way through uh, the different departments that I had been part of in the civil service. But most of all, in common with a hell of a lot of people, in even in this current era, um, I can trace my IT ancestry back to the civil service. And that's where I was a, a computer operator on mainframes that were the size of small houses, through to being a programmer with the revenue commissioners, uh, where my first password was Abkadagdal, I remember, on Wilkadagum Dulgadi on Leheris, on a Honeywell GCOS uh, operating system. I then moved into the Department of Post and Telegraphs, the famous old computer centre in Dundrum, that uh, begat many a business leader that followed into the 80s, 90s and beyond. And I left in the early 80s and joined a market research company this was pure data processing. These in the days when the TAM ratings and consumer panels were a de rigueur in the world of marketing. The battle between the Late Late Show and Glen Rowe was a weekly one. And so I progressed into developing my own sense of what was important around technology and what it was, was money. <laughs> like, how does technology enable competitive difference? And nothing has changed that view. That's the basic premise of everything that I've done ever since. And I suppose um, when you think about it, you've seen the tech industry go from a kind of a splinter area of the business world to today, it's the heart of the business world. If COVID has taught us anything is that if you didn't have an online presence as a retailer, you would certainly be completely gone almost. From the point of view of building companies, what, what made you start? What, what, was the, what was the made you have the courage of your convictions to go, right, right, I'm going to start a business? Not an easy thing before startups became even a, even a, a term that people used. Hmm. Well, I, I, I had worked through a series of multinational subsidiaries at a kind of executive level uh, on behalf of those multinationals in Ireland for quite a while. So I had quite a, uh, an eclectic and, if you will, global uh, customer base. I used to travel the world on behalf of these companies. But a, a fundamental flaw in, in my character was I always kind of felt that there was nothing overwhelmingly significant about those multinationals relative to the, the natural cop-on and leadership that you can get from Irish people. I always had that sense of distinctiveness about Irish leadership being something that really helps to distort norms and, and, and just disrupt, I suppose, is the common term now. But it's more to do with where there are norms, there are always exceptions. And I think that's where startups live. So in that regard, after I kind of graduated through the multinationals, an opportunity arose with a great mate of mine, John Colgan, take advantage of another multinational spin-out. In other words, when the multinationals were starting to become less arbitrary in the way that they invested in Ireland, they started to divest. And with that came opportunities to spin out really good groups of people. 
and start to use our nose and our relationships as a means of building commercial presence. Again, technology for technology's sake has never impressed me. It's, it's never been something I've particularly enjoyed. I'm sure I could still write a good bubble source in COBOL or something like that, but the, it's, it's always been towards the application of technology. How does it make a difference to your customers? In other words, how does it make you more money? So when the spin-out opportunity arose, uh, we were able to build very quickly a really compelling proposition that another multinational came along and bought. And it was out of that that I really spun the principal startup that I uh, founded, which was Original Solutions. This would have been in the early noughties. Hmm. And again, conscious of this kind of lean-to approach that we still have in procurement, where scale means dependable. It doesn't necessarily. Trust means dependable. Relationship means dependable. And it was that distinctiveness that I tried to leverage in any of the technology startups that I was involved in. Always know what your customer's looking for, not what you're selling. So original solutions was really an exercise She's another cliche I can remember. I wasn't standing on the shoulders of giants. I was running between their legs. So it was um, just trying to make ourselves compelling and competitive with the incumbent multinationals and the big companies that would have had greater marketing budget and greater presence. But always towards where do you need to have the deep end market intimacy that really makes a difference in the way you can sell technology. Again, not looking at why technology is different, but why would this approach to technology be different for your customer? And so it goes on. Like the companies that I'm engaged in now and have been engaged in since Original Solutions, which was, geez, that was sold in 2008. So it's really since 2010 when I slipped out the side door. I've been involved in a fabulous compendium of hobbies across all these new initiatives just trying to bring the benefit of my experience and my relationships. Well, I, I always used to fondly remember bumping into you at the NDRC quite a lot. And you, every time I met you, uh, it wasn't so much that you'd invested in a new startup, but you were always passionate about some company you were involved in. And one of those was opening.io or .ai, I keep getting that wrong, but opening. Um, and I, and I, I like you, I, I was always impressed by the Andrea and, and the founding team in terms of their passion and their belief. When it came to backing companies like SinglePoint and opening, uh, what was it that attracted you to those companies? I suppose if you want to take it individually or, or together, what was it that attracted you to those companies? And, and what was it that you brought to the table in terms of guiding them towards the outcome, which is, you know, successful exits at a time when pretty much everything is, is kind of reeling from COVID. And, you know, you know, you might think it'd be impossible to get those deals over the line. But what was it about, I suppose, the... Um, the founders of those companies that attracted you to work with them and what you then brought to the yeah. table? Well, I think you put your finger on it, um, John. The founders, the people, always. It's the, that's the principal piece. And, and it sounds really glib and a bit silly, perhaps, but I need to like these people. And I really liked the teams in Single Point and in Opening. Yeah, totally different manifestations of a new enterprise. In the case of Single Point, they weren't actually a new enterprise to a large extent. They were an existing organization, but they weren't particularly well organized. So to put it in a nutshell, that's what I did. I tried to help them to organize and become a bit more coherent, and we come back to that. In the case of opening, 
like Andrea and Adrian, the two founders, are two intellectual geniuses, but intellect with personality, really likable, fabulously motivated, driven people, but who always thought of everything from an ethical point of view. And I just love their approach. I love their purity of purpose. Um, I envied their brains. <laughs> so I grabbed a hold of Andrea and Adrian's coattail, really, to an extent. But, but no, without being flippant about it, those two guys saw an opportunity that they had gleaned through their own personal experience, which was the inability of people with talent to find the people who really wanted that talent because the recruitment engine in the middle didn't know what was going through their hands. Mm. Uh, and opening, we're able to bring an algorithmic or really clever uh, deep learning approach to that. And uh, fair play, that's what the buyer have taken advantage of, and I think that's going to be a marriage in heaven. In single points case, you had three leaders of what was a really big and strong body shop, and, you know, I don't care if they read this. <laughs> they know that's what it was, and they know that's where we started from. But over a period of time, there's two great things I would say about them, and neither of these are meant in a patronizing or a churlish manner. One was they really knew how to take advice, and the, and the second was when they acted, they acted decisively, and they implemented. If there's any great philosophy for me in business, it's decision, action, communication, not necessarily in that order. But those three pieces are the foundation of every business. Anyway, sorry, they're the foundation of every good idea. And, and iterating through that is important. But having certainty about why you're going that way, where you're going, that's the direction that I try to apply. That's what I did with opening. That's what I did with, did with single point. That's what I do with all the companies that I'm involved in. Try to give a very clear purpose and map out the journey along the way with a few road stops, you know, but obviously those things happen whether you like them or not. And and I suppose then right now, the world we're in right now, I mean, uh, a lot of reports suggest that it's going to be a really difficult time for Irish tech companies, Irish startups. I would kind of counter that. Well, in one sense, I think Scale Ireland had some research that said that like most founders of companies reckon they have a, a, a runway of about three to, three to six months before they run out of cash because of the current situation, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, some of the only glimmers of good news have come from Irish tech companies in a lot of ways. Some really good exits this year, recent funding rounds, companies like Buy Me raising money. You know, if anything, they still signal to me that there is hope for the future. Now that you've had those two successful exits, do you see yourselves see yourself continuing to get involved with Irish startups and advising them? And what do you think is the long term future once, you know, we hopefully reopen and the economy gets back to probably where it was, if it ever does? Okay. So this is going to turn into a weekly series, John, I think. Um, <laughs> there's a few points in there that I want to make, and I need to be careful about the way I make them. But um, I don't believe... Scale Ireland, I think, is a fantastic initiative, and I need we need to put a lot more shoulders behind that wheel. I don't believe that the state has in any way invigorated the startup ecosystem we need in Ireland. And I, and I say that, obviously, on the back of two companies that both benefited from Enterprise Ireland's investments or interest at the very least, certainly support. But I, I just feel that the private first, public second approach has to be reversed. We've got to get a greater understanding that the state has to take responsibility for supporting these startups much more vigorously and much more explicitly cash terms than they do right now. 
the fact is that it's at the end of deals. It's at the end of, uh, if you will, transactions. When you start to see who the real shareholders are, and to that extent, not necessarily a pretty picture in mm. terms of who picks up the warranties and liabilities going forward. I just, I just feel that there isn't, there's too much marketing and little uh, funding applied to the world of startups. Um, we speak of ourselves as a, a really brave, courageous, risk-taking nation. We're not. We're not. The people who start up these initiatives are. Maybe some are naive. That's why idiots like me are around to try and help them not to be naive. I actually did pitch, by the way, to the IOD that they should make the chartered director accreditation dependent on a six-month probationary period where you have to link in with a startup. And it's that kind of initiative that I think we need to engage in. I'm not suggesting by any means that it's a charity. You've got to be sanguine about your business cases. There has to be credibility in the business process. No doubt about that. You've got to show that you have that commitment and you have that clarity of purpose. But equally, when that's shown, we've got to, we've got to strip down the bureaucracy, the delays and the unnecessary penal approach to drawing down funds, right? Mm. If, if, if companies have proven that they have the commitment and they have the self-sacrifice to try and enable those kind of entrepreneurial visions, the state shouldn't be belligerent about backing it. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with an entrepreneur um, today, actually, and we were just talking again about the state supports and that kind of thing. And he made a very good point, you know, why is even the employee of a company taxed heavily on the shares they are given in the company for the, for the hard work they've done, for example? We've a lot of very strange constructs around share ownership that seem to be devised by a civil servant who has probably never worked in a startup in their life or knows, you know, about, you know, the realities of starting a business. And, you know, when it sells a business, then capital gains tax comes in and again, it, it affects the overall reward and you almost say to yourself, why would people do that? You know, if, if this is all they're going to get for their for their hard work and their great outcomes. Do you think, do you, do you obviously, you have your feelings about how we can be more adroit in how we support companies, but it, it even goes deeper into just taxation, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I don't know, it, it is about money. It is about money. And it doesn't have to be, as I say, that the public sector are providing the money, but they should be facilitating and incentivizing the private sector to do so. And like even today, I participated in a call earlier where we were talking about the delay in EIS approvals. I may have done it once, but I'm not doing it again. Whereas we want people to do this a hundred times. You know, we want every entrepreneur to come back in as an entrepreneur support. And most times be in the form of financial support. Everybody's up for a bit of risk. Everybody likes to have a, a bet on Cheltenham when it's running. But the fundamental is you'll always be pushed towards the favourites. That's fine. But there'll always be the long tail. There'll always be people who will back the outsiders. So that's what should be incentivized. Not asking anyone to take on extra risk. Just incentivize people to accept that other people want to take on that risk and they should be just equally rewarded. It's like someone said to me, one of my clients said to me the other day, so fundamentally when you go to an incubator, it's actually better that you're failing and you've used the money than if you succeed and give away a lump of equity that you wouldn't have had to give away otherwise. That's a hard thing to say because they are the fundamental foundations of a lot of startup companies these days. But think about it from the, uh, the entrepreneur's point of view. How exciting is it to bring on board someone who plays the part of a shareholder, 
but is effectively just waiting to be a beneficiary. Mm. Nothing else. But if you think about it as well, I mean, if I go back to say the example of Iona, Iona Technologies, I think I, I remember once thinking the number of companies that came out there was 20 and then I was corrected and some of them, no, actually about 48 companies just came out of that, that phone alone. And I was going, wow, really? So, you know, we need, if we're talking, like if, if, if this crisis is going to teach us anything, like while the FDI sector, the multinationals are, are and they're creating jobs, I mean, that's more than welcome, of course. Um, but we don't seem to be really, really good at supporting our SMEs in a very strong way. And, and if anything, this crisis has probably taught us that after this, we need to make sure, or even during, but on onwards, well into the next decade or two, that we need to have more more of a cohesive, supportive approach to our, to our SMEs. They well, even in the current circumstances, there is no explicit COVID support that's been allocated to help startups, right? Yeah. That's full stop. That's mm-hmm. one statement. But just to broaden what you've said, I think there's also a really significant opportunity for Ireland in the European context here, because there's no doubt, and like there's plenty of analysis that have shown this, the level of innovation and return on investment for innovation in Europe relative to the States, and, and of course, relative to the new, the new world leaders, right? It, there's a massive gap in terms of the way that we build our innovation in Europe, right? Ireland can fill that gap. Ireland can go different. We can be a pioneer. We don't have to wait for some EU rule to kick off or catalyze a new, a new initiative. We, like, you know, you've probably read the Startup Nation, the, the Israel book. That's phenomenal. Jesus. They just, yeah, let's do it. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? Now, okay, maybe not at the moment. We don't have a, actually have a government, but it doesn't take a lot of legislation to enable that type of, um, that type of ethos. Get the ethos right. Get the culture right. This is the company where we give it a go. You know, give it a last Jack. Geez, it'd be great if we had a minister called Jack. We could. Um, the, <laughs> but it's that, that's the it's that stance I think that we need to pre- appreciate here in Ireland. We've both got an opportunity, and we're also currently the laggard. Wouldn't it be amazing if we jumped to the front? And a final question then uh, for, for yourself. I, I kind of asked in the last one, but do you see yourself getting involved in more more founders and helping founders along? Is that something you, do you, time, oh, you have time to do? Name drop. Um, <laughs> I've got 11 startups, 12 startups on my agenda at the moment. Wow. Not, and then a couple of others, not, not startups. By far the most notable one that I'm involved in at the moment, and I'm not going to go off on a crusade here, but it's just to indicate how topical and how sweet spot this is ufo drive i think i mentioned them to you before john yep. so ufo drive the first all digital as in phone based app based electric car rental solution right how many sexy bits did i just say in that one sentence right so so first of all it's an attack direct attack on pain in the arse car rental where it takes you two hours to get a car then you don't get the car you want and the, and by which time you know you're falling down with perspiration because you're standing in a basement at Malaga Airport or something like that. But secondly, people care about their experience. And their experience extends into the impact of their experience. So here is the zero emission option for driving from A to B. And guess what? At a time when private and personal safety is really important, we have a no-touch rental model. Now, we're currently incorporated in Luxembourg, 
that's where we started, right? We're we're actually in sixteen locations. Uh, sorry, fourteen locations in eight countries at the moment, including Stevens Green. Not much car rental at the moment because you can't go very far. Understood, but that's going to change. Mm-hmm. And staycations, for instance, are going to become quite popular. Why would you not adopt that as a flagship project to both enable the green agenda, but also to subvent? all of this bad experience that people have as a tourist coming into Dublin Airport or whatever. End of rant, okay? (laughs) But that's an example of a really interesting innovation, disruption, right? That at the moment, okay, is outside of Ireland. We're actually in discussions around changing that, and that will depend on lots of circumstances. And naturally, travel tech is not exactly the right space to be in right now. But I've loads of others. I've got one, My Irish Date, aimed at the Irish diaspora. What a, a dating. Do you know J-Date, the Jewish community in the state sold for gazillions? Right. And we've the Irish diaspora. That has to be a success, right? I've got a, a blog that has built into something that now reaches almost a million subscribers around the world, mostly women. What a huge market research asset, right? You can see where that's going. I've got others in the role of recruitment. I've got others in the, in the world of social enterprise. But social enterprise, as they say, a lot of money in charities. So the, look, the, the long and the short of it is, it, it's, it's what I love. It stimulates me. It has to be something other than box sets. <laughs> Brilliant, John. Well, that, thank you very much for your time. And I really appreciate talking to you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>